0: maybe cuz i grew up in the 80s i have really vivid memories of some of those horrific soccer stadium disasters from back then hillsborough uh, obviously comes to mind in england Heisel in belgium when uh, soccer fans were killed in crushes so watching what unfolded in indonesia over the weekend was really a reminder of those awful events back then and 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 I'm just wondering what could have happened, right? So authorities in Indonesia continue to investigate after more than 100 people were killed and scores more injured during a crush at a soccer stadium in East Java on Saturday. The panic started, uh, or at least the event started after fans began to invade the pitch and police responded by firing tear gas into the crowd. Now, there are lots of questions being asked tonight as to how a soccer match attended only by supporters of the home team. There weren't even visiting supporters there. Descended into that chaos, resulting in one of the sport's worst ever tragedies. Among the dead, 33 kids, including one as young as three. Um, How did this happen? How do you prevent it from happening again What should we know about the psychology of crowds? Well, one of the world's foremost experts is Clifford Stott, and he's a professor of social psychology at Keele University in the UK. He's also an expert in the psychology of crowds and what causes these kinds of horrific events, and he joins me now. Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. This one is is hard. I mean, it it brings back memories of lots of stadium disasters of of times past, but uh, this one... It's been particularly deadly, and and I guess it comes as a surprise to read headlines like this in two
1: thousand and twenty-two. Um, well, Ben, I, d- I don't think it is a a surprise to 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 see a headline like this. I mean, um, in in Europe, we were made um, aware of these dangers very recently at the Champions League final in uh, in Paris, where uh, again it was um, very fortunate that we didn't we didn't see deaths coming from. Um, from from a situation involving a, a major football-soccer fixture in, in, in a modern stadium. So I think as the events in Indonesia demonstrate, the potentialities for these kinds of situations are ever-present and reminds us of the importance of giving priority to public safety in any mass gathering.
0: What do we understand happened in East Java over the weekend?
1: well obviously it's very early um, in any attempt to analyze what went on and this for me as a crowd psychologist and many of my colleagues is is part of the problem because as many of your listeners uh, may have already seen that the immediate analysis that's often put on this uses the word stampede that implies these people died in the stadium because of things that the crowd did that it that it it, it flowed into a a kind of herd like state of crowd psychology and it's that inevitable dynamic of crowds that ultimately makes them dangerous but what we need to be clear is that that is very far from the truth that where we start to deconstruct the evidence we see some very very different causal factors that played very very important roles and uh, one of those clearly was the actions of the police um, and another was um, the fact that it appears that the exit gates to the stadium were locked Um, and I think that what we will find in the final analysis is that this was not a tragedy caused by the crowd but a tragedy caused by crowd mismanagement
0: Because I gather it's so often when it comes to what the authorities might like to see, it is so easy to blame the crowd.
1: And it's our tendency all the time that we live with this very salient myth of the madness of the mob. Uh, this idea that crowds are places where we lose our normal rationality, our um, civilised personality and become subsumed into this mass psychology, which is assumed to be by its very nature pathological. So it's often very easy for the authorities to fall back on that stereotype, on that myth um, and mitigate their own accountability through path- pathologizing and drawing on this myth of the pathology of the crowd?
0: Because early indications are we know that police fired tear gas. I don't think that's in doubt, which is already a violation, specifically in an area like a crowd. Um, We do believe that the gates were locked, so people had no way out. Um, we also think that there were too many people in the stadium; that it was over capacity. Uh, I guess these will all be confirmed. But but you're, that's that's a pretty potent mix, especially the tear gas. I think that was one of the things that stood out. That that must be. I mean, there's a reason why that is forbidden for as for crowd control within an enclosed space like a stadium.
1: Yeah. So I, I think uh, you you touch on on key issues there. I think another thing that's particularly relevant to understand is that there were no away fans in the stadium either so this wasn't a conflict between home and away fans what many people like to label hooliganism this was a situation that, that evolved over a period of time that that clearly um, involved failures of uh, regulating flow into the stadium so it was over capacity that uh, over capacity must have been a recognition of of a failure or an earlier failure. And then into that mix, we we see a pitch invasion. And the police's response to that pitch invasion, judging by the video evidence, is that they they began by baton charging the fans. uh, And that quickly escalated up into a situation where they, they fired tear gas. Now, it appears from the video evidence that that tear gas, at the very least, blew into um, a crowded um, terracing area, a crowded area of, of, of the stadium. And what we've also seen is footage and photographs of the exit gates that have been bent. These big steel gates have been bent by the level of pressure. So what that suggests to me is that the tear gas... Um, uh, blew into or was fired into a densely crowded area of the stadium. It then I assume became impossible for people to breathe in that location forcing them to migrate out of the exits which you'd think was a perfectly logical thing to do if you can't breathe that you're going to seek to get out of that area through the exit but because the gates were locked on that exit people couldn't escape from that area and then the density of people trying to escape the tear gas then led to pressures that crushed people and killed them through asphyxiation so the idea that that was a stampede I think is 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 the wrong way to look at the problem what we need to look at is the problems of crowd mismanagement that appear to be um, uh, evident in in the evidence that we've seen already
0: What would you like to see emerge from an investigation into an incident such as this one? Because as you mentioned, with the Champions League final in Paris uh, not that long ago, uh, these are incidents that still occur in many places. And one could only hope that we learn from each, each and every one as tragic as this one is.
1: Yeah well I think this is such a challenging question Ben I I think one of the things that is absolutely vital is that we don't see a knee jerk reaction where the rush is to blame uh, more to um, an evidence-based underpinning of the kinds of policies and practice that we place around sporting events and football in particular. Listeners may be, may be already uh, aware that uh, there are serious and ongoing problems of football violence in Indonesia, and, and meeting and addressing those kinds of challenges is, is not easy. Um, it requires a sophisticated approach that isn't based on use of force and more about a political solution that starts to Uh, build engagement and dialogue with the fan base, not seeing fans as part of the problem but part of the solution and and working over an extended period of time to negotiate a way out of uh, the management of of these kinds of um, potentially hostile crowd events to avoid the kinds of uh, situation that we we saw in Indonesia. The problem is that that's really really difficult because everybody in this context tends to fall back on the idea that the way to control crowds is through force is by being reactionary. But uh, in my experience, in over thirty years of studying football crowds and public order policing, that is the wrong direction of travel.
0: Clifford Stott is our guest. He's a professor of social psychology at Keele University in Britain and an expert in the psychology of crowds and what causes tragedies such as the one we saw over the weekend in East Java in Indonesia, perhaps the deadliest stadium disaster in modern history with more than 125 people killed uh, during a crush at a soccer stadium there in East Java. a lot of lessons were learned in the 80s i remember uh from from the Heisel from from uh, the disaster in england the disaster in belgium um how how much has crowd control changed in the last 30 years when it comes to these kinds of events because it feels like there have been a lot of um there's been a lot of progress made, uh, even though we continue to see incidents that raise concerns
1: yeah a a, a great deal of of progress was was made um Certainly in the European context, um, as a consequence of high And I, I think one of the things to highlight, Ben, is the the tragedy here about how in this environment we we kind of have to wait for tragedies before we act to deal with the issue of public safety. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could get into the place where we could make these changes before people before people die and I, I think part of that change is is to understand that the failures are not of the crowd um so in the wake of the heysel stadium disaster there was recognition that heysel was also a failure of policing um, and in particular international police cooperation and measures were put in place to uh, try to to bring policing uh, forward and to, to think in a more sophisticated way about the kinds of issues that we are dealing with when we're dealing with football crowds. Um, and a lot of the work I've been involved in was was contributing to advancing our scientific understanding of the the dynamics of crowds and and, and why they uh, behave in the way that they do. And it, it was captured for me, I think, in in part in, in terminology. You use the term, for example, crowd control. We 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 start to think these days about crowd management. Mm-hmm. Crowds don't need control. They need to be managed properly. It's not the job of the authorities to control or suppress crowds. It's to manage the situation in ways that maintain public safety and public order. And that, that might sound a mute point, a you know, minor issue, but it's actually really quite fundamental.
0: Yeah, actually, I, th- I think it's probably essential because it, it would change the way the authorities themselves view their duties, right? I mean, if your duty is to manage a crowd, it's to make sure that it is uh, it is allowed to do what it needs to do safely. And to That's control, exactly right. c- control yeah. it is, is to pen it in when this is where we see things like what happened in East Java over the weekend.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely about um, about changing the mindset of the authorities so that they develop proper strategies and have the right resources in order to to manage the dynamics of crowds in ways that maintain public safety and and, and public Uh, public order and overwhelmingly at the moment i think at a global level what we see is a situation where the dominant assumption is that crowds are inherently disorderly and the main thing that we need to do is to control them to suppress that natural tendency towards disorder but ironically that actually often creates the circumstances where disorder emerges and public safety is compromised. What we find is that if we change the mindset, public safety comes to the fore, facilitating the legitimate behaviours and intentions of people in the crowd uh, becomes a priority. And what we see is is, is a lot safer events and events that are less likely to become problematic in terms of disorder
0: are there examples out there of what this would look like because one would imagine in east java you, the initial problem was people was a pitch invasion it was people coming onto the field and that had to be controlled uh or managed better yet um but to then create a panic would be the worst outcome um are there examples of how that how that's done properly
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, There are many examples, but again, Ben, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pick you up on your terminology. Of course. One of the assumptions is that crowds panic. They they don't. Uh, When we look at the evidence, of course, in dangerous situations, some people in crowds. Panic, But in the main, what we see is a lot of resilience, a lot of capability of people in the crowd to respond to the emergency situation in ways that actually enhance the safety of others around them. So this idea of of collective or mass panic is is largely a myth based on our misunderstandings of uh, of crowds. But where we replace that misunderstanding with a more accurate understanding of of how crowds operate psychologically and behaviourally, what we started to do is to work with police forces to develop means of communication and dialogue. We need to recognize that the, the incident in, in Indonesia is set in a context. The conflict between football fans and the police is, is, is embedded in, in an ongoing situation that is, is likely to have been extremely polarized. So the antagonisms between fans and police that in part, and the clubs, that in part led to the pitch invasion in the first place Need, need to have been addressed. It's, it's the failure of addressing that polarisation that has culminated in this situation. So one of the things that we try to do is to work with police forces in clubs to build better relationships of dialogue and communication. So the police forces that we, we work with uh, all over the world have have developed specialist what we call dialogue police or dialogue units whose job it is to, to, to build relationships of trust and confidence with groups that are generally quite antagonistic towards the police. And that enables the police to handle crowds in a way that is far more effective. And indeed, I'm I'm doing work currently in in the US, uh, working with American police forces to help them to develop this capability in the wake of uh, the protests and the disorder that they experienced um, in in, uh, 2020 in the wake of uh,
0: the, the murder of George Floyd. Christopher uh, Stott. Fascinating. Thank you so much. I will keep the terminology in mind uh, as we talk about crowds on this show in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Ben.